This is the Nebraska Greats, a weekly podcast as a service to the Nebraska Greats Foundation, which serves former collegiate athletes facing medical needs and financial challenges. Your tax-deductible contribution will change the life of a former college sports hero. Please give online at negreats.org. And now, here's your host... Jim Rose. Uh, thanks. Really appreciate it, Tony, for this, and really appreciate your uh, support of the greats. That's awesome. Sure, no problem. Thanks for the thought. Thanks for having me on. Great. Um, I want to ask you about what's happening in the Nebraska football program right now, in your view, because you were there during the big change between 2002 and 2003, when a number of coaches were around. You were in the program. If you can give us a little perspective on what that means to a player. I mean, you were very close to that time. You were very in that situation, close to the program at the time. You knew all the other coaches. What effect does that have on the kid, the individual kid, when there's such a, a radical change? Yeah, so I my last year there was 99. <clears throat> so I didn't experience the radical change that, that may have happened. But to your point, I was close to the program. Uh, so I, I did. Uh, experience at least uh, third hand what uh, what folks were experiencing uh, the younger guys that I knew at the time that were juniors and seniors uh, would experience I can tell you that the transition from 97 to 98 when coach Osborne left uh, to coach Frank Solich was obviously in a, a tough transition because the head man uh, of so many years was leaving the program and so that was tough on us, but we felt pretty comfortable with knowing that uh, Coach Solich was not necessarily a duplicate of what Coach Osborne was, but he was certainly someone that was as grounded as Coach Osborne was at the time. So while there's always that initial threat of, hey, I got to get out of here, I got to find it, we felt, at least I did in the guys that I was around, felt very comfortable with um, our last few years and under uh, the same program and the same leadership that was that was already established uh, from the time I got there uh, to the time I left. So I felt pretty comfortable with that. Given what had happened, uh, you came into a national championship program. You were recruited to a national championship program, and the expectations were pretty clear. We're here to win national championships. We're not here to come close. Right. We're not here to put up a good show. We're here to win them all. Uh, describe what that means for an incoming freshman. Uh, some have said that Nebraska players struggle with how much pressure they put on themselves. But, man, nobody understood that better than you guys because you were coming in right in the middle of a 60-3 and three run. Absolutely. There was no more pressure put on, uh, put on us uh, than from in the internal locker room, right? So it was the leadership of the guys that were before me that said, listen, this is what – this is the example that I'm that that we're giving you. This is what you have to do. This is the type of work that you have to put in, and it was something that was probably not seen uh, in any other program that I had been recruited to to review, and not, certainly not something that I have been a part of ever in my life. I understood what a hard work ethic was, but it wasn't something that I understood that had to be a mantle I had to carry um, to you know until walking into that program in the middle of that run. And the pressure of having to sustain that over a period of time uh, was pretty was pretty tough. Um, but I tell you, it was it was the caliber of people that we had around us. It was the support staff that we had around us that really um, that really pushed us over that edge. That really helped us maintain that. 
and it was a group of guys ultimately of the talent that we had that that really kind of pushed us over that uh, over that hump. That '98 season was a tough season, and that '99 season, um, having I guess having four losses is probably something uh, to relish for today only. But certainly having it at that time was uh, somewhat of a blemish over the last four or five years of that program having that run, even in that ten year period, um, was just something that you know was an example of the guys out before us, the Winstroms before us, the Peters before us. That I got to experience the Tomiches before us. That I got to experience from a leadership perspective that we were able to carry through. So it made it a little easier. And, and of course the talent level um, allowed us to really push through and, um, and succeed. Nebraska was only in the big 12 conference for a couple of years when that 98 season rolled in, they still won the nine games, which was an important benchmark, but you know, you had losses at Texas A&M and Kansas state and Texas, and ultimately in the holiday bowl against Arizona. But you look at Texas with Ricky Williams Kansas State was in the throes of the greatest season they've ever had up to that point. Uh, and Texas A&M on the road down there and Aggie land is pretty tough for most people to beat. But you got an indication, and I think it was the first indication to the fans that, okay, this is not the Big A Conference anymore. And maybe Nebraska is beginning to understand that the Big Ten Conference is a lot more than Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's some parallels you can draw there between our transition to the Big 12 and, you know, Nebraska's transition to the Big 10. It's not just Ohio State. There's there's every team that I noticed, uh, certainly with the Big 12 and with the Big 10, that every team is fighting for a spot in the Big 10 to be noticed. And it's not just a throwaway game and it's not just some preseason game against some some team you give a couple million dollars to to play you. It's something where they want to come in and they want to make a name for themselves week in and week out, which makes the conference tougher. That's what we experienced probably within our transition period from 97 through 99, a little bit there. But that's certainly something that we could draw a parallel to that I've noticed um, transitioning into the Big Ten. Um, I think a little bit with what had happened with some coaching transitions as well with talent, recruiting has had made it a little heavier in terms of to carry that weight. Um, for the program, but essentially I could, uh, I could certainly say it was um, somewhat of the same uh, between our Big 12 transition and the Big 10 transition. Visiting with former Husker uh, standout linebacker Tony Ortiz, you came from another part of the country. You came from the East Coast to Nebraska, but at the time Nebraska was the ultimate name brand in college football. Right. Uh, they were getting on television more than everybody else. You did not have universal television coverage for virtually every team. Um, aside from the winning tradition and the relationship you were able to build with the coaches who recruited you and then coached you, you know, what advantage did Nebraska have then in your view that they may not have now in attracting top level talent? At the time, uh, I know for me personally, at the time, it was uh, you could easily see the level of talent that um, that you were walking into and you were competing with. And Nebraska was fairly honest with me in coming in to say, listen, you may have these many stars behind you. You may be this level of recruit, but you're not going to come in right away. We're not going to give you anything. You're going to have to work for it. And I mean, that attracted me to the program more than anything else of that level of honesty to say, listen, you're going to come in, you're going to compete, but you're going to compete every day as if today's the job and tomorrow you can lose it. And so that's what it was like for me. And it was also at the time of pipeline to the NFL. I think we were the Alabama of the time that they are today. And so we certainly you saw guys on the offense and guys on the defense go in and out of the NFL year in and year out and within the first five rounds. And 
that's something that's attractive to recruits today as much as it was, you know, 20 years ago. This has to be a radical change as a former high school standout who was able to make the transition into college football and play at an elite level in college football and then beyond. You know, you look at the entitlement mentality that is clearly now a part of the recruiting process and it has to blow your mind. Yeah. You know, with licensing agreements and, 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 and players getting paid to do this, that, and the other, there is a certain level of entitlement, but the transfer portal, I think it's a clear example of that. Now, granted, I think back in the day, if we had that, there, there may be some people that have, would have taken advantage of that. Clearly, I think there's always opportunities to find a better position or an opportunity somewhere else. But there is a level of entitlement that I've not ever seen before. Having a high school student to, uh, as a parent today, you know, you, you teach what you need to work for in order to get to that level. Having athletes as children, you teach them, listen, it's, every day is a battle. Every day is a level of competition. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean it's over. There's always situations where you, you may need to think about finding something better, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to leave the situation. You know, you could be a part of making that program. If it doesn't work out for you right away, it doesn't necessarily mean it won't work out for you down the road. So I think there's a lack of patience today and a quick level of, say, if I'm, I got to go, I got to find a quick level of success, that Instagram level of success. I think it's the mindset today. And uh, it certainly wasn't the, uh, the mindset uh, 20 years ago for, for most programs. Do you think that is acutely the case with a program like Nebraska now that has been away from the national conversation for 20 years? Compare it to, say, for example, what the recruiters from Alabama will say today or Ohio State or Clemson or Georgia or any of the top five or 10 programs. There's got to be a different sales pitch. It's probably similar to the one you heard from Nebraska back in the mid 90s. But if you're Nebraska, you got to get people in here now. Do you think that dialogue changes based on your level of success recently? Absolutely. I think the dialogue, uh, I think the recruiting process today is, is fairly simple. It's listen, we are brand name today. Um, you're you're going to make some money on the back end today coming to our program with NIL and, and these types of things. You're going to be seen every week. Those conversations, I think, are parallel to one another, whether it's 20 years ago or today, because that's what we were then. That's what it is now. I think the difference is today is the level of competition that you're going to play against to up that draft status. They're going to say, OK, you played in the Big 12 or you played in the Big 8. That's great. But who did you play against that's comparable to your position or against you that we could say that this is how you grade out for the NFL? And I think the SEC right now today has that. And they can go in and say, listen, I played in the SEC. I was a third stringer. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to work my way through. And that it could be comparable or equal to somebody who's in the Big Ten or somebody who's in a Pac-12 that started for three years. It's just a level of competition that they could sell that we just haven't seen in our conferences in the last, uh, you know, five to ten years or so. Busy Outside of the two teams, yeah. right? Yeah. Visiting with Tony Ortiz, former Husker standout linebacker, part of the uh, halcyon days of uh, dominance by Nebraska, highly recruited, uh, came to Nebraska with um, an understanding it would be difficult to get on the field today. And, you know, redshirting was an almost guarantee for an incoming freshman uh, up until five or six years ago. But now it's almost like, okay, I'm coming early. I'm going to give up my senior year of high school to play basketball or wrestle or play baseball or run track so I can go through spring practice at Nebraska. 
and be in position to play, that's got to be unhealthy. Yeah, it's it's a little concerning because how young do you know do we have to be in order to get enrolled and, and, and get started? Kids are, are are now leaving school a little bit earlier, their junior year. They're not playing their senior year. They're getting developed for what they want is a, a freshman campaign. And that's a little concerning. You know, these are 16, 17 year old kids. Well, there may be an outlier group that may be physically developed to do that, but then the majority are going to follow. So what does that do for football across the board? That's a year of development that, that you lose. You may be training and stuff like that outside of that, but you're jumping into spring ball right away. And I just, I just think that puts you somewhat in harm's way. Again, there are some athletes that can probably get away with that, but across the board, I think more and more kids are trying that and that's going to put them in a position of potentially early success, but later failure because they're not yet developed. As a parent of a high school athlete and who was one, and I'm sure there was, when you were a senior high school, you were thinking, I'm a very big deal. Um, Nebraska's recruiting me. Nebraska's not the only school that's recruiting me. I absolutely can come in and make a difference. But under what conditions would you have considered giving up half of your senior year to go hang out in Lincoln, Nebraska in January and February? <laughs> I mean, that, I, that maybe, maybe high school isn't as much fun as it used to be. But I can't imagine that anybody in the Ortiz household is going to be giving up half of their senior year just to go bang around in spring practice. No, I don't think I would have had a choice. I, I was going to finish my senior year in my house. Uh, my parents probably wouldn't have allowed that to happen, even if given the opportunity. Um, you know, graduating early, that, that would make sense, you know, going to spring or maybe maybe being able to be a part of that a few months early. But, you know, having to bypass a senior year or having to bypass a season um, for something to me that seems as selfish as branding uh, to, to get myself. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't fit the, the, the model of what football is to me. That doesn't necessarily make the kid wrong in any way, shape, or form, but it doesn't really fit the model. To me, it's now become a high school that, that, that late onset of high school to that freshman year to me has now become another level of free agency where kids are just getting an opportunity to get on a little bit earlier and to do them and to do some things that I just don't see are going to help, uh, you know, long run uh, for the program of the player. But, you know, these kids today, it is, it's just a little bit different. Um, outliers of some of these kids, maybe some quarterbacks, maybe some highly touted receivers may be able to get away with that but across the board. I can't see I can't imagine that for every for any other player. Yeah, it's, it just strikes me as something that you're never going to get that back. You're never going to get your senior year in high school back. Uh, the percentages of the number of kids getting into professional sports after playing college sports remains exactly the same. It's right. the same percentage. It's not grown. Uh, and so it's, this is, this is a cultural shift that says, okay, you know, the, I'm a commodity and uh, I'm actually, uh, uh, you know, an investment that somebody has made and they need a return on that investment. And it destroys the experience of growing into the job as opposed to having it, growing into the job of being a mature college football player. When you watch young kids on the field today as an astute observer of the game, Tony Ortiz, what are you seeing with young players on the football field that could have been avoided? Well, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of players make business decisions. Uh, that's certainly what's going on today. A lot of business decisions are being made uh, that do I involve myself in this play? Do I involve myself in this senior year, this freshman year? You know, where, 
where do I draw the line as being a complete football player in terms of coming in and making an impact to the program? Um, the level of commitment, I think, is no different than maybe some coaches in their carousels throughout the country. Um, maybe this is just a trickle-down effect of what the experience has been like across the country um, over the last 50 years of football. Um, there are some certain programs that have a, a staple in this country that says, if I go to this, I'm, I'm a four-year guy at this university. Um, you don't, you rarely see that now across the board. I just think when I watch football today, I'm just watching kids get in, get out. Um, they understand the mindset. They're taking the business classes. They're using football as an opportunity because they recognize that they are an asset. Um, and they recognize that they're not necessarily there for the four years. It's almost a basketball mentality now where they're coming in and it's this AAU of football where they want to come in, get early, get some tape get some fill, build a resume and decide whether that school after a certain amount of games is a school for them, A, even though they committed, even though they played. And if that school is going to be uh, the school that they'll stay at with a longevity of the time to, you know, to provide that type of success long-term. So that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing business decisions across the board. See how it shakes out. Tony, it's great talking to you. Always great to talk to former Huskers. Love to see you at the uh, ballpark sometime soon. Will do. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. This has been Nebraska Greats, a weekly podcast serving the Nebraska Greats Foundation. You can find each episode on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Please give generously to serve Nebraska's former sports heroes in need at negreats.org. And be sure to follow the Any Greats on Facebook and Twitter.